Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and she's going to tell you about reading some things. I'm going to tell you some things I wish I'd read about. No, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> well, it's been spring break, and <laughs> I did not read a ton the first week of spring break, but then I made up for it the second. And I did drive to Memphis, but I did it in a situation where I couldn't <laughs> listen to an audiobook where I would have really gotten much more. So. And I read quite a lot that day. Yeah. So. That's how it works. That is how it works. I think it works really well. All right, you can go first this time and tell about your book. Okay. I read a book. Uh, my friend Jay Daniel uh, is a big advocate of this. And I was very excited when I started this. I was like, hey, I'm reading this thing. And you're like, yeah, I know. I read that. <laughs> it was a good book. You chose well. It is The Happiness Project, or why I spent a year trying to sing in the morning, clean my closets, fight right, read Aristotle, and generally have more fun. By Gretchen Rubin. It is and really a heck of a subtitle. She read her own book. I always like when people do that. Oh, so. yeah, that's fun. I do admit, I probably want to track down a physical copy of this because a lot of Gretchen's advice is is very practical. Yes. Um, and, and I think I would benefit from seeing it on a page instead of just hearing it. But, yes. but it's, it's been interesting to hear as well. So, so, yes, she decided she wanted to spend a year trying to craft a happier life. She didn't come at this from a point of depression or anything like that. She just recognized how important happiness was and wanted to be happier and more productive. And that's why she set out on the journey she did uh, and, and came at it from a lot of different angles. Uh, just, again, a lot of really interesting, intuitive things. Like, like, okay, here's a game changer spoiler. I thought this was fascinating. She talked about gossip and avoiding gossip, mm -hmm. and that, that makes sense as a key to happiness. She said the way that you talk about other people, and studies have proven this, is the way that people will think about you. If you are always talking to other people about how innovative and smart and funny people are, they're going to think you're innovative and smart and funny. And if you say that other people are mean and untrustworthy and lazy, well, guess what? Uh, so... This has long been a tenet of yours anyway. I've never heard you put it exactly the way that she puts it, but this has just been a core philosophy for you. Well, I was probably lucky. I had a, a, a kind of a mentor of sorts. Uh, honestly, she's probably my dad's mentor more than mine. She's, she's in her 80s now. But a very wise lady when I was young said, uh, be careful about what you say because you speak things into being. Uh, and... At the time, I thought, I don't know about that, but the older I get, the more I think, no, she, she was pretty smart about that. Um, and yeah, it kind of reflects that. But there are a lot of things along those lines. There are a lot of just common sense. Um, she talks a lot about her closet and how we assume that having a million choices for something to wear mm -hmm. will make us happy. Well, that's not true. Right. It doesn't make scientific sense. Having some choice makes us happy, but having too much choice paralyzes us. Is this the book where she talks a lot about like sleep habits too? She does. Right. She does. Uh, she doesn't like my naps. No. no. <laughs> and I understand well, why. I mean, I my sleep do. habits are awful, so I'm I'm not one to talk. But I really, uh, there have been a lot of books written on similar topics to this. I read one a couple of years ago called Joyful. I think I talked about it on here. Mm -hmm. um, I picked up one not long ago and didn't finish it that was supposed to be about fun. Mm -hmm. um, 
just lots of books have been written about this, but what I liked about Gretchen Rubin's is that it was one of the more eminently practical Mm -hmm. um, with suggestions for things that every single person has access to in his or her life. It just depends on whether you want to take them. And the other thing that I think I remember about this book, it's been years for me, so correct me if I'm wrong, is that the idea is that you can pick up any one of these and there go thereby go about improving the happiness in your life. You it's not you have to do everything she says. Correct, exactly, and that's one of the attractive qualities of it. If you want to dive in on one tenth of the things she says, it's helpful. Mm-hmm. If you want to dive in on fifty percent of it, it's probably more helpful than one tenth. But there's no compulsion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. And another thing I wanted to bring up, which is a little confusing in audio format, she made a blog in the midst of all this right. and, and wrote about it. And in the book, she shares feedback she had from other people, which is kind of confusing because the first time it happened, I'm listening and she's talking about how I don't have any kids, but I'm like, wait a minute, you were talking about your kids 20 minutes ago. Well, the the reader who had commented on the blog didn't have any kids. So she shares some of other people's attempts to invoke these ideas and these principles. And and that's pretty helpful too. I enjoyed that Mm -hmm. just as another way of saying, well, look, she said this, but actually I tweaked it to that and that worked pretty well for me. So I feel like when I read this book, I really appreciated, and and it should be in a book about happiness, but the overall positive tone of this. Mm -hmm. Some self-help books are more a pointing out of all the ways that you need to change all the things that you are doing wrong and all the ways that it is your fault that your yeah. life is not what you want it to be. And her book was just much more upbeat, more everybody's life has good and bad in it. Here are some ways you could just up the good. Yeah, yeah. So my, my buddy Jay Daniel, who is a baseball writer himself, he just finished a book and hoped to uh, talk about that, maybe have him on at some hey, point. Awesome. Uh, good good dude. And he says this book was life-changing for him. He, well. He's you know, he's a big sports reader, but he's like, look, here's here's something out of my usual lane. But, but periodically on his Twitter account, he'll say, look, this one's a game changer for me. Well, uh, that's awesome. So it popped up and I thought, well, he's always talked about it. And like I say, I thought I discovered some new thing, <laughs> which goes about as well as it ever does. But anyway, <laughs> a very readable, interesting and useful book, The Happiness Project, Gretchen Rubin. Excellent. I also read a book called Super Bowl Monday, which has a long subtitle that I cannot read on the cover that I'm looking at. Adam Lazarus is the writer. Super Bowl is Super Bowl 25. So I admit, I looked at the title and was like, Super Bowl Monday? Wait a minute, I remember Super Bowl 25. That wasn't on a Monday. And no, it wasn't on a Monday. But here's the story. That was 10 days after Desert Storm began. Okay. And so the game was broadcast over there for troops who saw it on Monday, and thus Super Bowl Monday. (laughs) But it was a big controversy at the time, because again, it was 10 days after that, there was like, do we have the Super Bowl? If we have the Super Bowl, do we still have an open-air stadium and planes flying around? You know, so there there was a fair amount of like, how do we do this? Right. And it was interesting, one of the the side moments in this, it talks about Pete Rozelle, who did the coin toss for this game. He had retired as the NFL commissioner like two years before this. And Roselle, ironically enough, said his biggest regret, the week that John F. Kennedy was assassinated, the NFL had games. Hmm. And he said he he literally checked in with the highest levels of government, and they were like, no, please go on, do this. But he said it was the wrong thing to do. I shouldn't have done it. Interesting. But, of course, Super Bowl twenty five happened, and it was a great, great game. Uh, when I was a kid, 
all the Super Bowls were terrible blowouts, and this was unusual because it went down to the last second, and it's just this great iconic game. Uh, and Adam Lazarus does a good job. He tells the story of that game. Again, obviously, you get some of the backstory of what made it a weird time, but something else he did a couple of places in here, he brought back stories from other prior Super Bowls that were relevant to this game. And that was a cool thing. You know, I'm reading along and he jumps back 20 years. I'm like, wait a minute, what's he doing? And then it would dawn on me, like, oh, okay, he's going to talk about this. Uh, so, an interesting look at a familiar topic and a game that really that's the first Super Bowl I remember really well. Uh, so, interesting, too. Yeah, well, 19, 1991, January 1991. I'm, I'm 10 school, years old. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, a, a pleasant read if you like to reach back to that. Super Bowl Monday, Adam Lazarus. And then. I've got our shared read to talk about, but okay. otherwise, I'm going to swing it over to you. All right, so we're down to me. I um, had two rereads over spring break. One of them was Sean and Equist. I guess I haven't learned that yet, which finishes... If you haven't learned it as many times as you've read it, you may never learn it. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's just sitting there. You teed it up for me. I'm finishing my reread of Sean Nequist's whole catalog here. So that was the end of that one, and I really love it. It is a great book, I'm and sure. Then it is a great book. Maybe you should read it sometimes and learn I something. I guess I too. haven't learned to read that book yet. <laughs> All right, and then Beach Read by Emily Henry, which I've talked about a million times on here, too. I'm a huge Emily Henry fan, and she has a new book coming out at the end of this month, which I still need to pre-order, but I will have it, too. All right, then I read After I Do by Taylor Jenkins Reid. We've said on here many times, Daisy Jones and the Six is a favorite for us. We're working through the miniseries on TV. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it's I feel guilty that I haven't just sprinted through it. It's so good. Yeah, it is really good. Um, I have enjoyed some of her other new books. Malibu Rising, I really enjoyed. I liked Carrie Soto uh, is back. But I didn't like any of them the same way that I liked Daisy Jones and the Six. But my sister has got me started reading Taylor Jenkins Reads back catalog like her earlier books and that's this is what this is and i'm really really loving those and just because daisy jones is what brought her to my consciousness mm -hmm. i assumed it was first so these are no. pre-daisy jones yes oh wow yeah she had a lot of books before daisy jones i did not know that yeah so this one after i do is about a couple who fell in love really fast they got married everything was great but then about 10 years into the marriage which statistically is when things end right I thought six is the average duration of a marriage. Okay, now, still, we're still in the right range. Yeah. yeah. Um, they just started having a lot of problems and um, did not want to be together. And yet they still loved each other. So they conceived of a really unusual plan, which is they would separate for a year. They could date. They could do whatever they wanted. They wouldn't talk to each other in that year. And then at the end of the year, they would come back together and decide whether what they had was worth saving. So when I read this premise, I was like, oh my gosh, that really, <laughs> that does not sound smart. That doesn't even sound realistic. Uh, this book was amazing. I really thought it had great takes on love and marriage, kind of like Daisy Jones did, really, Yeah. in that it was not just about the two of them, and it was all the characters. It's told from the point of view of the main female character, and all of the women in her life have like share all of their relationships and what goes on and how they navigate, um, which is all part of her deciding what to do about her marriage. And I just found it really um, interesting and I don't want to say instructive, but just um, it was a really cool way to think about your own marriage and to think about the way things are going to come at you in your life um, and how you want to handle those, maybe as opposed to what is your natural instinct for handling those. 
is a great book. Um, then I read Almost There, A Twisted Tale by Farah Rakan, I think is how you say her name. This one was a recommendation from Natalie, our daughter. She has really gotten into these twisted tales. I think that they're commissioned by Disney. They are affiliated. Disney's yeah. name is on the cover in some way. And they have different authors who write the story. So again, I think that they're... I think they're commissioned. Yeah. Disney, like, that they take a classic Disney story. This one was The Princess, uh, it was The Princess and the Frog, I think. Is that one of them? Yeah. It's Tiana. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they, they go back and they throw a twist in it. Like, what if a character made a different decision and came into league somehow with the villain? And just twists it all around. So this one was really, really fun. I probably knew this fairy tale less well than the others because... Right. It's been, it's been several years since I've seen it, and because our kids were maybe a little bit older when I they... I that I ever saw the movie. Well, I watched it with the kids, but they were a little bit older when it came to their attention, so yeah. we just, like, we watched it the once. It was never one that was in heavy, heavy yeah. rotation, just because, I, for whatever reason. Um, it was a great movie. Really good. Set in New Orleans. I think you would, did watch it with us, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think I did. You're right. Um, but it was, it, it was a really cool little twist about what if Tiana makes a deal with the Shadow Man. Um, the book moved really, really quickly. It had a lot of good sensory and setting details, really good conflict, very, very reminiscent of the Disney movies that it imitates. I think it would be really fun to make some movies about these. That may be what Disney has in the works coming up after that. Who knows? Who can say? Um, but Natalie has truly loved those books, and she's talked to me about them a lot, and this was her top favorite of the series that she's read so far. She's got her ranking so that I can get the next one, too. Well, for a kid who's who's really starting to come into the age to read literature, it's a fascinating way to think of, like, okay, let's take something we all know and then, you know, throw this in. Yeah. Or take this out or switch this around. Now what happens? Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Yeah, it's a great way to teach kids to kind of deconstruct and reconstruct familiar narratives in their head. I guess hey, she's got her favorites, and she's already got the next one lined up for me. I just had a bunch of other books, so I'm coming to that one. Oh. And then I read Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. This was phenomenal. Um, it was set up as, in the blurb, it mentioned like a Little Women retelling, um, which I read Little Women 18 times as a kid. I think <laughs> many girls of my generation at least read it once. Um, I don't know that Natalie's ever read it. I think she may I don't have think so. she may have read an abridged version. Yeah. Years ago. Possible. Um but it was it was really big for a lot of us. And so I thought that sounded interesting, but I was pleasantly surprised to find that this is not a faithful modern retelling of it. Instead, it kind of loosely covers the same sort of spine. You've got four girls and they their parents, this little town, um, their passionate interests. Um, and, but these are, these are unique characters who are very set on their own life journeys and it goes on through and sees their kids and, um, super, super beautiful book, gorgeous all the way through. The writing was excellent. Um, but the characters were really what I couldn't get out of my head. I finished this one a week ago, I want to say, but it took me several days even to figure out how really to talk about it and just lines from it keep going through my head Things from the characters still keep popping up. I can't get this book out of my brain. This is going to be one that we're going to get you to read, too, mm -hmm. if we can get it back. Yeah. <laughs> Find somewhere where it's not checked out. Yes. And then I read Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sinfield. 
Um, I read her book Eligible years ago, which was her modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice, and I did not like it <laughs> because probably when I read the book, I thought it was a it was a very well written, very funny book. But I'm a little too touchy about Pride and Prejudice. I don't want people messing <laughs> with Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice did yeah. it did not need to be a comedy for me. So I really, I wasn't impressed on the whole, so I didn't read anything else by her. When her book Rodham came out a year or two ago, I did not read that, which is her fictional retelling of Hillary Rodham Clinton's life. I remember hearing about that, yeah. But you know what? I'm going to go back and get it now, because this book was so good. Um, This romantic comedy reminded me very much of Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monaghan, which I read last summer. Mm -hmm. The premises actually are really similar. Uh, in both books, the main characters are um, female writers for Hollywood in some way. In this book, Sally is a writer for The Night Owls, which is a spinoff of uh, Saturday, Night, Saturday Night Live. Um, and then they both fall in love with a celebrity, and it kind of follows through. On this one, I just found what Curtis Sittenfeld had to say about... Um, writing itself, about creating, about being a person, and then about trusting other people was just really, really good. And about the things that we do that matter the most. Lots of times in romantic comedies, the grand gesture is the big thing. Like, what can they do to win each other over? And the grand gesture here was so real, so simple, and so absolutely perfect. That if I hadn't loved the book until the end, I would have fallen in love with it right then. The writing was snappy. It was fast. It was funny. She's a great writer. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, the characters were just really real and really fantastic. I also love that this was a pandemic book. The first part of it was set in 2018. Then the next section was set during 2020. And it takes place entirely um, on emails back and forth because you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't see anybody. Um, and then the last third is 2020, um, and then on a little bit. But great book. I can't recommend it highly enough. Sounds like you had a good uh, run this time around. I had so much fun reading over this break. Now that you all are going back to school, I'll read more myself, and maybe I can catch up a little bit. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about our shared read. Yes, by all means. Uh book that I had uh, read and talked about at some length last time, but... Uh, if I didn't beat a dead horse, we'll drag it back out and whoop it again. Alan <laughs> Mayman's, uh, was it Trouble, Troubles in Twilight. Hazard? Twilight in Hazard, yeah. Okay, so the librarian at my school pulled this off the shelf and handed it to me and said that he thought you would really like this. And he was we, right. We mentioned this last time because the premise behind this is that Alan Mayman was a journalist from the Courier-Journal who was sent to cover Eastern Kentucky. And he was told to cover it like it was a foreign country. He's the last Courier Journal mm-hmm. journalist, which is a, a big part of this, yeah. And he did. He did that faithfully. And during his time of being in eastern Kentucky, he fell in love with the place. He fell in love with the people, quite literally. He married a woman from eastern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And so this book was his attempt to use what he had discovered as a journalist, what he had written about, what he had seen for all of those years, to try to help make sense of Kentucky, both for him, of Eastern Kentucky, both for himself and for other people who were trying to figure out what were the problems in that part of the state and how could they be helped. Yeah, which inevitably becomes the conversation. 
Um, Eastern Kentucky is a place of nearly unparalleled natural scenic beauty. It had abundant natural resources, many of which have been absolutely strangled and pillaged out of the place. Uh, and the problem is the lack of any real sustainable economy there. And even still, this remains very much, you know, a razor's edge problem over there. Um, Which you have seen firsthand having grown up over there. Right. Maimon, having spent five years over there on the ground, understands some tangible things that outsiders don't understand. For instance, a complicated relationship with coal and with organized labor. Um, Coal carried much of eastern Kentucky, and they are exceedingly reluctant to leave it behind. But they also are exceedingly proud of their commitment to unions and to organized labor because you can go back and watch the film Harlan County USA if you need a primer. I mean, these these are people who've literally put their lives on the lines, who've blocked the train from, from carrying the coal out of town when they've had to. I had goosebumps just thinking about it. And, you know, Maimon tells these stories or the stories of people a generation on uh, who are still fighting these same fights. And... and the the biggest thing I would say to people who don't know Eastern Kentucky is it will defy any generalization. It is not simple. It is not, you can't put on one size of solution for the problems or for the people or for the area and expect it to fix, forget everything, sometimes much of anything. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. And it's real complicated. Um, and... In a way, Maimon is an outsider. He's from Pennsylvania. He had been in Berlin before he came to Hazard. In another way, he became an insider because he spent five years doing the day-to-day grind, covering coal Talking mine disasters, knowing drug people. overdoses. Yeah, getting getting on good terms with the mayor of Hazard, who's a great character uh, in here, and researching these stories, getting inside of them. Um, And I know that you really appreciated this book because many of the things that he zeroed in on as being um, issues for the region are things that you have talked about many times. Opioid problems and prescription mills uh, particularly jump to mind. You have to see it to believe it. You really do. And and I I grew up around it. I saw it. I've seen the way that, that drug companies and pharmaceutical companies just absolutely went in to maim, kill, and pillage and, and largely did it um, with the help of a few sympathetic uh, doctors who wanted to pad some bank accounts. Uh, it's, it's otherworldly. Uh, and there aren't many places in the world that have been targeted like Eastern Kentucky systematically by outside money, by outside interests, to take whatever can be taken. And when other people talk about the quote-unquote problem of Eastern Kentucky, they don't look at it that way. They don't think about, know, or understand the targeting that went on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a key to understanding the situation. Um, you know, blessed to have lived there, blessed to have grown up there and gotten to see some of the things Maven talks about, some of the beauty, some of the heartache, 
Uh, and of course, he talks about Eric C. Kahn, and, and <laughs> undoubtedly, somebody out there by this point has written a, a separate book about Eric C. Kahn. Well, we talked about this book a little bit with Nathan last time. Indeed, the and series. Yeah, yeah, he sent us a message later about the series that's on Apple TV, right? Right. About Eric Kahn, and we haven't gotten to it yet, but it is so on our list. Yeah, and and, and I'm not going to share everything about it, but there were connections with Kahn I didn't know about, and and. I was aware of this guy back when he was just a weirdo with bizarre commercials, and, and there are some truly bizarre ones. If you want to hit YouTube, you're going to see some things to make you go, what? Huh? I mean, he he was flying the freak flag, folks. He wasn't keeping it very well hidden that this was a different sort of, of individual doing a very different sort of business, uh, and just an awful story, but a fascinating one. Yeah. I, I do encourage you if you if you care about it, dig in deeper. And and you came to this, I think, a little bit cynical because I like to read, you know, historical, sociological, political things. And go, oh, this is just great. You should read this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, fine. No, I was on board with this from the beginning. You, I don't like to be read to, but you, <laughs> you read me some pieces from his introduction, and I thought, yeah, I think this guy is going to get it right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel like he got it about as right as it's going to be gotten. Um, now, that doesn't give specific answers, really, for what help can be brought, but I think just understanding the getting a true picture out for the world to understand of the problems. Yeah, yeah, and accurate accounting of the exactly. problems and what's gone wrong in the past with exactly. trying to fix them. I mean, you... You throw a, a call center in Prestonsburg and pretend that you, you magically created an economy there. No, you didn't. No, no. And I think I, I did really appreciate that he pointed out those things, too, that have been attempts made in the past that just were faulty from the start, and you can see why. I also just appreciated the genuine love and affection with which he approached the people of this region the relationships that he had with them, it gets on my nerves so much when people want to look at this whole area of the state like it is something to be fixed. Yeah. Well, the the, the column he did on the big revival in Louisville, he went with a group from <laughs> yes. Eastern Kentucky. Oh, that was beautiful. And told the story. He's not religious, certainly not in the way that they're religious, um, but he was touched by their devotion, by the, the, the humble spirit they brought to this worship experience. And at the end of the chapter, he talked about going back and tracking down people from this mm -hmm. story he wrote and others he couldn't find and he really wished he could. He wondered what they were doing now. And, you know, stuff like that. You, you get an idea again. It's a guy who's, who's not just somebody punching the time card. This was somebody who cared about the, the, the people and the stories he covered. It was a great book, and I am so grateful to the school librarian for um, putting this in our hands that yeah. we got to read it. John did us a solid. If uh, if he's got more like this, uh, I'll, I'll stay busy reading them for the foreseeable future. <laughs> when I bring it back to him tomorrow, I'm going to let him know that. Yeah, by all means. All right, so we are still looking at upcoming guests. We have um, an upcoming guest schedule, but we are waiting to get the book so that we can read it too. So for the next time, we it'll just be Joe and me. And we're going to talk about a book called The Bible Tells Me So by Peter Enns. I've read it and you are finishing it. Mm -hmm. And then in two weeks, we'll be ready to talk to you about that and about everything else that we have been reading. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have anything that you want to say about any of the books that we have talked about today or about this upcoming one that we are going to read and talk to you about next time, please let us know. You can find us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, or on Twitter at pbackreaderspod. Thanks so much for listening and supporting. And whether it's uh, 40 and rainy or 80 out there, whatever you got going on, I hope it includes some reading. Take care.